Thank you for checking out the Life Church Utah audio podcast. We pray that it's a blessing to you. To find out more information about Life Church, please check us out at lifechurchutah.com. If you'd like to support our ministry, you can do so by going to our website or by texting the word LCGIVE to 95577. Good news. I like good news. How many of you like good news? How many of you like bad news? Just like, oh, I love it. <laughs> I remember when, uh, when Shelly and I found out uh, that we were pregnant uh, for the first time. Well, we weren't, she was pregnant, I just kind of tagged along. And, um, you know, when, when, God, when we say that, right, you know, we're pregnant, no, you're not. <laughs> um, but uh, so when, when, when Shelly was pregnant, we found out, we're like, I mean, that was good news. I mean, I remember that uh, pretty vividly and, and just going, okay, now what? <laughs> I have no idea what to do. As any, any first-time parents, you get that point, you find out that you're pregnant, and then you go, I have no idea what I'm doing. Anybody uh, with me on that one? Yep, 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 yep. And then we, we have four kids. How many of you have multiple children? After multiple children, you go, I have no idea what I'm doing still, right? Because every kid, by the way, parenting, real quick here, every kid is different. You can't parent all of your kids the same. Anyway, so sorry, I just threw that in for free uh, this morning. Um, some would say that you need to wait. If you find out you're pregnant, you need to wait a little while to tell people. There was no way we were waiting. We found out, and then we're like on the phone, landline phones back then. So uh, on the phone, telling people no social media, had to tell people that way. It was just beautiful. Uh, I like good news. It's right to tell good news. And in 2018, I look back on 2018, which was just a couple of months ago, really. Um, and, and it was a year filled for us with incredibly good news. One, one of those things, and I know I've shared it before, but I just have to because it's one of those things in my life. Um, when, when I found out that my, my 1974 wonderfully red Bronco was going to get redone for free by Garage Squad, uh, the, the Garage Squad television show, when that happened, when I found out about it, uh, well, really right about a month ago, or a month ago, right at about a year ago, I wanted to tell everybody, who wouldn't blame me, right, for wanting to tell everybody this incredible moment of good news was going to happen. But you know what they told me? You can't tell anyone. <laughs> so I had to hold in all of this incredibly good news, and I couldn't tell anyone. This kind of build, you ever been that where you have good news, and it's building up inside of you? You're like, i got to tell somebody. Uh, and then that moment uh, in, in August, as Shelly and I and our kids are kind of walking through this big decision, uh, whether to leave Illinois and come here to, uh, to Utah uh, to, to pastor Life Church. And I remember the, the business meeting, and uh, getting that, that whole election process and, and then getting in. And we were super, super excited, right? That is good news. But at the moment, we really couldn't tell anybody <laughs> uh, just because we had to go take care of, you know, a few things behind the scenes. But then the crazy thing was uh, that night, about five minutes after Shelly and I had been voted in uh, to be your lead pastor, um, I got a text from my children's pastor in Illinois and he told me that somebody from here, I don't know who it is, I still should figure this out, somebody from Life Church that night, right after I got elected in, put it up on Facebook that I was now the senior pastor of Life Church Utah, and we hadn't told anybody in Illinois at that point. That's exciting, right? So good news, right? You know, in that moment. So we quickly had them remove that and take it down, and nobody saw it except for my children's pastor, who did know, so uh, that was okay. Uh, but when you've got good news, you want to shout it from the rooftops. 
can't imagine holding good news to myself. Now, there's, there are times we have a surprise, and it's good news, and we need to wait a little bit to tell uh, that good news. I'm thinking of um, maybe there's an engagement, and you don't want to just, you want to plan it out, right? And you think, guys, you think you're surprising her, but she already knows, just so you know. I'm giving you a heads up. Um, you know, and so uh, you, you want to plan it out, and you, 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 but you, just something inside of you, that good news is there. You want to tell everybody, but you're waiting for just the right moment. Or maybe uh, some of the parents in here, you've had a son or a daughter that's gone off to college for the first time, like the, the, first, um, the first one from your family going to college and being accepted into college. What an incredible good news but perhaps you have to wait a little bit to get the whole family together to tell that news so that you can celebrate it together. So uh, this idea of, uh, of telling good news um, is something that actually research tells us is a good idea. Listen to what it says. The bottom line, sharing our joy increases joy. Telling people about our happiness has far greater benefits than just remembering it or writing it down for ourselves. This research may also help partially explain um, an, another study that was done that has shown that our well-being, our well-being influences those around us up to three levels of separation. So in other words, when we tell good news to somebody, it does something inside of them to tell good news to somebody else, then to somebody else, and potentially even to somebody else. So there's three degrees of separation that the good news that you share with people around you, it's going to not only impact the people you tell, not only yourself, but another generation, another generation, and another one as well. So our good news, don't hold it in. Tell that good news. And so I've got some good news to tell you. Uh, Shelly's not pregnant. That's not the good news. Um, and we're going to spend uh, the next, next few minutes this morning uh, talking about this missio day, talking about this idea that God has a mission and that we, this week, we're going to be talking about that God has a mission for us as a church. And good news is contagious. When you tell good news, other people pick up on that good news and, and people like hearing about it. And so we're going to talk about good news that's about 2,000 years old that God is still asking us to share today. Now, the good news for us, it's 2,000 years old, actually started much earlier than that, and we, we find uh, little bits of that in the book of Isaiah. And in order to help us with this, I'm going to invite you to turn your attention to screens for about a, about a four-minute video that's going to help set the stage for us for this morning. Go ahead and uh, start that. There's this beautiful poem it's in the book of Isaiah. The city of Jerusalem has just been destroyed by Babylon, a great kingdom in the north. And all of these Jewish people, they've been sent away into exile, but a few remained in the city. And they're left wondering, what just happened? Has our God abandoned us? Right, because Jerusalem was supposed to be the city where God would reign over the world to bring peace and blessing to everyone. Now, Isaiah had been saying that Jerusalem's destruction was a mess of Israel's own making. They had turned away from their God, become corrupt, and so their city and their temple were destroyed. Yeah, everything seems lost. But the poem goes on. There's a watchman on the city walls, and far out on the hills we see a messenger, and he's running towards the city. He's running and he's shouting, good news! And Isaiah says, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news. Beautiful feet? Yes. The feet are beautiful because they're carrying a beautiful message. What's the message? 
that despite Jerusalem's destruction, Israel's God still reigns as king, and that God himself is going to one day return to this city, take up his throne, and bring peace. And the watchmen sing for joy because of the good news that their God still reigns. Now in the New Testament, we find this same phrase, the good news. It's the Greek word euangelion, and it's also sometimes translated with the word gospel. So when Christians say, do you believe the gospel, they mean, do you believe the news? But not just any news. In the Bible, this phrase is always about the announcement of the reign of a new king. And in the New Testament, the Gospels use this phrase to summarize all of Jesus' teachings. They say that he went about proclaiming the good news of God's kingdom. So Jesus saw himself as the messenger, bringing the news that God reigns. Yes, but the way that he described God's reign, it surprised everybody. I mean, think, a powerful, successful kingdom. It needs to be strong, able to impose its will, able to defeat its enemies. But Jesus said the greatest person in God's kingdom was the weakest, the one who loves and who serves the poor. And he said that you live under God's reign when you respond to evil by loving your enemies and forgiving them and seeking peace. This is an upside-down kingdom. Now, Jesus also said that this kingdom was arriving with him. Yeah, so for example, there's this really interesting story where there's a high-ranking Roman officer, and he comes to Jesus begging him to heal his servant. And he even calls Jesus his Lord, acknowledging that Jesus is his authority. Jesus praises this man for recognizing what no one else yet had, that not only was Jesus announcing God's kingdom, he was the king. And so the word gets out that this Jewish man from Galilee is talking and acting like he's the king of Israel. He's appointing 12 disciples, which are an image of Israel's 12 tribes. He's healing people, forgiving people their sins. And all of this so threatened Israel's leaders that they finally decide to have him killed. And Jesus let them. Yeah, which is a weird thing to do if you're trying to become king. That's right. But for Jesus, this is what had to happen. Jesus saw the sin and the devastation of his people Israel as just one small part of the entire human condition. How all humanity has rebelled against God, resulting in the tragedy and devastation of our whole world. So how is God going to bring his reign over such a world? Jesus believed it would be through an act of sacrificial love for his enemies. This is why in the Gospels, Jesus' crucifixion is depicted as his enthronement as the king of the Jews. Yeah, he receives a crown. He also receives a robe. He's exalted up, not onto a throne, but onto the cross. How beautiful are the feet that bring good news. And the good news now is that Jesus has defeated death and that he reigns as king, that he's dealt with our sin and corruption himself and that he's conquered it with his life and with his love. And then Jesus sends his followers to go out and keep announcing this good news of the upside down kingdom. And to invite everyone to give their allegiance to him, the king who defeated death with his love. Amen. Boy, there's so much in that video. But the thing I want to key on today is that we are to be the people that share the good news of the upside-down kingdom. The good news of the upside-down kingdom. And as we deal with this uh, the series Missio Day, we need to keep in mind this big picture 
that everything about missions is good news. <laughs> that the, the, the story that we tell, it is good news. It begins today with the church. With us as the church. What is, what is our mission that God has given us? Well, the mission as the church is we are a collective group of individuals choosing to identify with the upside-down kingdom of Jesus. And now, next week, we're going to talk about us as individuals. What is our responsibility? Today is the church at large. What is our responsibility? And then on March 17th, Bob Cook will be our special guest as he brings to us uh, really a message uh, dealing with missions and how we can participate in missions here at Life Church. We also have uh, Garrett and Tara Kenyon, missionaries from Panama, and also Kai Alpha locally here with uh, UVU will be here, and that'll be at the, at the campus here, also at the Glacia Vida, and then also at our Tooele campus, as well as we celebrate missions uh, here at Life Church. So make sure the next couple of weeks, don't miss a single week, uh, because we, we're building on each week. So Now, as a kid, we used to play in the jungle gym, at least I did. And uh, anybody playing the jungle gym as a kid, remember that, right? And uh, you'd swing, and then you'd jump off the swing onto people, you know, whatever happened uh, there on the, on the jungle gym and the swings. But remember the bars, the monkey bars, and you would hang upside down from the monkey bars. Anybody ever do that before, right? And then maybe your friends would throw you a ball, and you'd try to throw a ball at somebody while you're hanging upside down. Extremely disorienting when you are upside down. Now, there are a pair of glasses that you can buy that turn the world upside down. I'm not sure you've ever seen this before, but, uh, and they've done some experiments and studies with this, and um, I saw somebody stick their tongue out there, like, oh, it'd be horrible, and it is, right? So you put on these glasses, and everything is flipped upside down. Could you imagine that being a bit difficult, uh, having the world upside down? And so they then, in, in these experiments, they give jobs for these people to do. Just, you know, simply hold out your hand in front of you and then lift it up. Well, what's going to happen? You're thinking you're lifting up, but you're actually going down. You know, all this weirdness has happened. Your brain's trying to cope with it, trying to pour water out, and you can't do it. Very, very simple things that should come naturally, you can no longer do. But the crazy thing is, and this is testament to the human brain, right? The crazy thing is, in just a very short amount of time, you can start to walk confidently, even though the world is upside down. You can start pouring water very confidently because even if everything is upside down, your brain starts to compensate for this, this whole upside down world that you are confronted with. And pretty soon, I think within just a few hours, you're able to ride a bike even though the world is completely flipped upside down. That's crazy, isn't it? And it doesn't seem like we'd be able to do it, but we're able to cope with that moment. This is the process that happens when it comes to the church as well. Now, for some of you, you maybe visited Life Church, uh, you know, six months ago or five years ago or 10 years ago, and the first time somebody invited you to church, you walked in to a group of crazy people, <laughs> right? You're looking at them and you're going, what are they singing about? I don't understand. Some of them are lifting their hands. People come forward, get prayed for. What does that mean? It's just, this is so upside down, and I don't understand it, and it freaks you out a little bit. But then, maybe you're watching online and you're a little freaked out to come. Show up sometime, you know, right? Okay? So, so you feel a little freaked out by it the first time, but then something in you, you say, boy, I was confronted, and it was, it was tough, but I'm going to go back. And you go back, and what do you find out? 
it's not quite so upside down the second time you come. And then you come back a third time, and, and it's not quite so upside down, and pretty soon you start to realize that the reality is we in the church are right side up, and the rest of the world is what is upside down, right? And so we have this huge, incredible moment when that transformation becomes complete. We've got Christ in our life, and all of a sudden what was upside down to us is now the right way. And this is what we need to get across when it comes to our job as the church into the world around us is that we have a responsibility to tell this upside down message to the world around us that Jesus transforms us. And when we become a part of this church, we become a part of this crazy upside down, which is right side up, but the world thinks is upside down people called the church. And don't ask me to say that again. <laughs> so what are we supposed to do as the church? Why are we here? The very first thing is the church is part of this upside-down expression of the kingdom of God. We saw that in the video a little bit, but we are, we are part of this expression of the upside-down kingdom of God. So the church is unique among organizations, or I should say organisms in the world, where a gathering of various people from all walks of life that the thing we share in common might not be our income, might not be our outflow, might not be uh, you know, where we live, but what the thing is that we share together is that we have been transformed by the power of Jesus Christ through his Holy Spirit, right? So we've been transformed and we share this together within the church. We're the bearers of the story of God to the world around us. And this is the good news. And so Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, this is how he uh, kind of uh, works through this. says, now, brothers and sisters, I declare to you the gospel which I preach to you, which you have received and in which now you stand. Through it you are saved if you keep in memory what I have preached to you, unless you have believed in vain. For I delivered to you, first of all, what I also received. This is, the, this is the gospel. This is the good news. How Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, was buried, rose again the third day according to the scriptures, was seen by Cephas and then the 12, and then that verse actually goes on, talks about 500 at one time. And so this is the nutshell of the gospel. It's the upside down story that Jesus came to die for our sins. That's completely backwards and upside down. That somebody perfect, somebody holy, somebody righteous, somebody just would die for us who were sinners. In Romans chapter 1, verse 16, Paul uh, says this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. This is the story that we tell. And it's not a story of our own power that transforms us. And this is also part of that upside-down idea. If, if you are a reader, and I hope many of you are, um, if you're a reader and you, you go read uh, things about leadership or about getting better or you know, internally and all of that, most of the books you read, what they tell you to do is have more willpower, have more ability on your own, fix, you know, fix these abilities that you have. And I would say that that is really upside-down from what needs to happen because hopefully we realize as followers of Christ that we are broken. And there's no way I'm going to improve this life unless I submit it to Christ. And to the world around us, that is totally upside down. Why are you looking outside of yourself? You don't need to put yourself in looking anywhere else other than your, yourself. And Jesus says, we've got to look to him first. We've got to look to him first. 
So this good news <laughs> that we are internally broken is the upside of the kingdom of God because we've got to turn our lives to him. Whatever we do, it should go through the lens of Christ and we tell the story of how Jesus transforms us. So we as the church represent Christ, the son of God, to the world that God created. And so then along with this, I think that the church should expect to be used to reveal God through the unexpected. We should expect to be, be used by God to reveal God through the unexpected. And here's what I mean by that. Miracles. Miracles should happen within and outside the church because we're doing what God has called us to do. So Matthew chapter 4 says this. Jesus went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogue, the gospel of the kingdom and healing all kinds of sickness and all sorts of diseases among the people. So here, you got to get the picture of Jesus going around and people coming up to him. You see this time and time and time again in the gospels that people come up to Jesus. Jesus, touch me. Jesus, heal me. Do something in my life. Change me. And Jesus reaches out and touches them or Jesus gives the word and they are healed at a distance. However it is, miracles are happening. And in fact, as you read the gospels, it looks like well, miracles happen sometimes, but then you get to the end of John, he goes, boy, if you were to write down all the things that Jesus did, there's not enough books in the world to cover everything that Jesus did. So miracles were a part of Jesus' life. Miracles should be a part of the church. You might say, well, Pastor Rich, that was Jesus. He's the son of God, so of course he's going to do miracles. John chapter 14, verse 12. This is Jesus speaking. He says, I assure you that whoever believes in me will do the works that I do. So, so what's that? We'll dig down to the Greek here. What does that mean? <laughs> I'm not going to dig down the Greek. What it means is what it says. <laughs> the Bible says, and Jesus says it to us, the things he did we should expect. So, Pastor Rich, we, we should expect miracles to take place. Yes. And as the church, if you look through the book of Acts, what you begin seeing is that miracles take place in the gathering among the people. It also took place in the world where people were far from God. Miracles happen. I want to pray for miracles to happen, not only here at Life Church, but in your workplace, in your home in your neighborhood. You never know how God is going to use you to powerfully impact the world around you. And remember, it's not just doing miracles. It's presenting the upside-down story of who Jesus is who wants to transform lives. So in the book of Acts, we see it over and over again. And in fact, in the uh, month of July, we're going to be going through parts of the book of Acts and talk about how normal this is. And sometimes we think miracles are unexpected, and I believe we should live with that expectancy so that miracles become normal. <laughs> miracles become a part of who we are as a people experiencing God. And finally, we come to a pe peculiar start of, or part of the story of Jesus as he's talking to his disciples. Um, and he makes a comparison that I, I think is actually, um, maybe says a lot more than we think the very first time we read it. And uh, this idea is the church is salt and light. 
Now, oftentimes when we read the Bible, and I think rightfully so, we, we look for ways to individualize the things that we're reading, right? So, so when you read the Bible, you go, okay, how does this apply to me? So we have a tendency to make it very, very individualistic. And that's a, honestly, it's a very American, Western Christian thing to do. How do I look at the gospel of Christ into my own life? Because that's, that's where the focus is. But there is so much about the gospel that's corporate. And as Jesus tells this very, very familiar story and gives this familiar um, analogy, he's speaking to everybody who's sitting there, not just the individual people that are there, but looking at the collective. And so there's this idea of, of this is plural when he's, when, he's, uh, when he's speaking to this. And so Jesus is uh, kind of at the end of the Beatitudes, which is probably his most famous message that he's, uh, that he's given. The crowd is listening intently. And then he starts off, or he, he ends with this moment um, by giving this upside-down idea. He says, you are blessed when they insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. And he says, be glad and rejoice. If that's not upside-down, I don't know what is. Right? When, when somebody does something against you and, and accuses you falsely and, and persecutes you for your belief... Our natural reaction, I think, is going to be, we're going to take action. We're going to do something. What does Jesus say? Be glad and rejoice. That's so backwards, so upside down from what the world would want us to do. So upside down from what our human nature wants us to do. And that's why I think in this next moment, when Jesus speaks, I think there's more to it. So he says this in Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. He says, you, once again, plural, you the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Remember, this is corporate. This is talking to everybody there. Salt and light. I'm going to invite Mike to come on up here to help me uh, close out. That's just to give you hope. i got a little more to go here, all right? Um, so salt and light. To the world around us, it is often um, like challenge for you when you go home. Go home, give yourself a paper cut, and put some salt in the wound. <laughs> what happens? In the, what happens? Pain, suffering, right? It hurts. It hurts. Oftentimes, I think the world views the church as an irritant. That what we are is that we, that, that the world feels at times that the church is just pouring salt in open wounds of broken hearts, kicking people when they're down. That's what the world sees as salt. So how does the world view light? Well, um, I think at times the world views light as just this uh, thing that exposes all of my brokenness and all of my hurts. And so when, when Jesus says that, you know, you are salt and light, the world views that as a really negative thing. And I think God understands that. 
So how about we flip that upside down because I think the right way to look at it is that God has called us to be salt and light. <laughs> now, salt doesn't have to be an irritant. Salt can be this incredible, flavorful experience. How many of you add salt to something? Don't do it if you've got high blood pressure, all right? But <laughs> you add salt to it, right? I think God's called us to be tasty to the world around us. I think God's called us to add flavor to the world around us, not to be an irritant. I think God has called us to be a preservative in the world around us because there are sparks of who God is around us. Let's preserve those things. I also think that God has called us to be a comforting light rather than a light that causes heartache and problems. Somebody came up to me afterwards and said, I'd like to view myself as, as that, that, um, the, the warming lamp that glows a nice amber color, and you just kind of put your hands down, you feel that warmth coming out of there. That, that's the kind of light that I want to be to the world around me. But I think sometimes we wear as a badge that this kind of light, you have these in your backyard, you're never going to forget this, have these in your backyard, or the kind of light that draws people but zaps them as soon as they get close. And point out all the wrong things that they're doing rather than saying, come as you are. Let's let Jesus do an incredible work in your life. Don't be a bug zapper. <laughs> we need to be a different kind of light. We need to be an upside down salt and light. I'm going to invite you to stand to your feet tonight. This is Pastor Eric. Thanks so much for checking out our Life Church podcast. We pray that it's a blessing to you. For more information about Life Church, check us out at lifechurchutah.com.